0: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with me this week. I am, uh, when you're listening to this, on vacation with my family. So we headed up to uh, the mountains and are enjoying some R&R, a little bit of time together I am, uh, if things have gone according to plan, 100% unplugged this week. That means I do not have my computer. Uh, I am not using my cell phone. I am totally unplugged and present with my wife and with my kids. And I don't know about you, but I think that's probably the greatest investment that I can possibly make um, with my time period at, at any time of the year. That's the best kind of thing that I can do. But we are all deer hunters, and we do want to invest time doing other things. And because in my eyes, you know, bow hunting, deer hunting, at least the way a lot of us who are very serious and passionate about it do it, can border on being a little bit selfish. We can be very distracted. Our minds can often be you know, wandering over into deer hunting land when we should be listening to our wife tell us something or, or uh, hanging out with the kids. And so uh, I know that's a struggle for me. So it's important to take this time, you know, right now here in the first week of July and just totally unplug and be away from everything. And so we've got a brand new episode for you uh, coming next Thursday, brand new episode. Uh, but this week, I thought one of the best things that I could do is follow up last week's episode with a conversation about thermals. We talked a good bit about thermals and how they influence deer movement, especially buck bedding and how bucks drop down, you know, from uh, in hill country um, in the evenings as they're getting up out of their beds. And I thought, man, I really wish I had an episode on thermals that we could talk about in between uh, what we had on the show last week uh, and what we are going to talk about next week. But thankfully... Uh, I did have one in the reserves, and so I just pulled one up from last year. This episode originally ran, gosh, I guess it was mid-August or mid, mid-July mid of, of last year. So pretty timely information, but it's with Eric Eyes from the Red Bearded Predators YouTube channel. And we talked all about thermals. And when this first launched, it got a lot of good feedback. So if you've heard it already, you probably know it's worth going back and listening to. And if you haven't heard it already... It's definitely worth an hour of your time. Eric knows his stuff. He hunts whitetails in the hill country of southwest Wisconsin. The guy is a killer. He knows what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, honestly, thermals can just be tough, man, especially in, you know, steep hill country like uh, like there in southwest Wisconsin with the, the way things can swirl and the way, you know, thermals and prevailing winds kind of mixed together to create some pretty interesting situations. So I think you're going to dig this episode. And before we jump into it, I do want to point you to our sponsors. We've got several great brands that we partner with here at the How to Hunt Deer podcast. And as you're thinking through your camo, your filming needs, or your mapping software, I want to encourage you to go check out our sponsors. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of the show. And uh, as I've told you before, their Tacticam 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras are fantastic. And I usually spend a lot of time telling you about the specs of their camera, but today I just want to mention a couple of different things because I'll usually throw in at the end, like, hey, they've got mounts and adapters that are really cool. And uh, so rather than just saying that again, I want to tell you about my personal favorites. Number one, the Tacticam 6.0 stabilizer mount for your bow. That's a no-brainer. If you're going to be shooting this summer and you want to self-film your hunts with a Tacticam 6.0 this fall, you need to go ahead and get the stabilizer so that you can practice shooting with it. That one is kind of a no-brainer. They also have the bendy clamp mount, which I think is probably my personal favorite because I can take that bendy clamp mount and stick it on pretty much anything. I can put it on a tree branch, I can put it on my backpack when I'm walking in, I can put it on the stock of a weapon of like a a rifle or a shotgun. It's super, super versatile and will do pretty much anything you need it to do. They've also got a shoulder strap so that you can get, or a shoulder mount so that you can get that over-the-shoulder angle, which is really, really nice if you're spending some time fishing or scouting. They've also got a head mount if you want to wear it up on your head like a traditional point of view camera might be. So if you think about Tacticam and you think, well, those are just for my uh, those are just for my weapons, they're maybe not for, you know, what you would use a typical point of view camera for, you are mistaken. You need to go check them out tacticam.com. Grab one of their 6.0 cameras or the Solo Extreme camera and get started sharing your hunt today with Tacticam. Next up, if you're looking to add some camo to your arsenal this year, go check out huntworthgear.com. I've been super impressed with a couple of different pieces specifically for summer scouting and early season hunting. Their Durham lightweight pants are amazing. I've got them in the gray and I've also got them in the camo. Uh, they also have an olive color and an ash brown color that I just don't have yet, but. Uh, certainly plan to because these pants are super super comfortable they keep you cool they are tough and durable they've got just a little bit of stretch to them which is nice when you're trying to make your way through the timber when things are really greened up outside and honestly here in Georgia I'll probably be wearing those pants well into the season I mean they're lightweight enough that you can wear them during the summer but if you throw on, you know, one of their base layers underneath, you can actually get a good chunk of the season. You know, if you're in a climate like Georgia where it's not necessarily going to get freezing. Now, up in Wisconsin where I hunt, I'm probably not going to be wearing those past, uh, you know, middle, early October-ish. But when you get those 70-degree days, it is nice to be able to pull those things back out. Head over to HuntWorthGear.com to check out all of their products and learn more. Finally, last but not least the onyx hunt app if you did not catch the episode that i did with jacob sklinner on the wisconsin sportsman podcast uh, the previous episode launched on june 27th it's called up your map scouting game for big bucks man first of all fantastic fantastic episode uh probably one of the best wisconsin sportsman episodes that i've done that's devoted to deer had a really great time recording that one but it was all about if you can't guess map scouting. And it sort of relit the fire in me to be doing some map scouting for some properties that are local to me here in Georgia. So I've been putting the Onyx Hunt app to work here lately. And as I'm doing that, one of the features that I really, really love is the uh, the markup folders. So what you can do, you can you know drop your pins and you can add those to a folder and send them to a buddy, which is what I personally like to use them for. I can put you know several pins in a folder, send them to a buddy and say, hey, what do you think about this? Rather than having to send them one pin and then another pin and then another pin, I can just send it all at once. So if you're like me and you like to share pins with your buddies to get their thoughts on areas that you're map scouting, check them out today on xmaps.com or you can find them on the app store of your choice. Now let's jump into this week's episode with Eric Ives of Red Bearded Predators. Joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Eric Ives of the Red Bearded Predators YouTube channel from Southern Wisconsin. What's going on, Eric?
1: Oh, nothing too much. Uh just enjoying this beautiful day in southern Wisconsin. Haven't had too many, I don't know, seventy five, lower eighty type today degree days with this little humidity. It's kinda nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dude, everybody I've been talking to from Wisconsin's been like, We're melting. We're melting. This is not good. This is too hot. We can't handle it. It's
1: been a uh... Yeah, no. It's been beautiful. Like last night I got out, took care of some trail cameras because I saw it's supposed to be a was 75 degrees out yesterday. I'm like, got to take advantage. This is why I can. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. Well, Eric, why don't you kick things off by telling us a bit about uh, yourself and kind of your hunting situation, where you spend time chasing whitetails?
1: Gotcha. So, like Josh said, I am in uh, southern Wisconsin, uh, kind of the dripless area of Wisconsin. And I moved to this area about, uh, six seven years ago, because I just love the hills down here. Absolutely love the hills, love the terrain, love the chan challenge of trying to read thermals and whatnot. However, uh, throughout my uh, I don't know what to call it hunting career, quotes, um, I started to grow. Up, I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, actually from Green Bay originally, and hunted the big woods up there. Uh, that was a challenge growing up. Back then we were just hunting trails. None of this, uh, media was like Dan Infall, Andre did Quisto and whatnot. That, that wasn't out at that time period. So we were just trying to figure it out on our own with what we knew and, uh, moved to southeastern Wisconsin, lived there for a while, ended up hunting down there, really good deer down there, but the pressure is very high in that part of the state. And that's why I ended up deciding to move towards, uh, Southwestern Wisconsin there's a little bit less people
0: <laughs> man so i I gotta know when you were growing up hunting uh sort of the big wood setting right yeah and you're hunting on these trails and stuff when you first started hearing about the dan and and the andre dequistos of the world did you think that they were crazy because i did um at first yes but then i ended up
1: buying a couple dvds i think it was uh one of the first DVDs I bought was Blood Brother Outdoors. I think Dan Infolt was on it. Jared Iridi, I think, was his name. And uh, there's one other guy. I don't remember his name. But uh, after started listening to some of the theories and whatnot and um, going out and testing these theories for myself, it started making sense as time went on. So, yeah. then Then, then it started to hold some weight with
0: me. Yeah. Did you start to put some of those things into practice in the big woods or was that mostly in Southern Wisconsin when you were. Uh,
1: That, that was, uh, East central and Southwestern Wisconsin when I started, uh, experimenting with those ideas. And I, I found those DVDs and whatnot in, in Andre and Dan about 10, 12 years ago, where, before it started becoming a, a real big thing. So, um, yeah. So yeah, that's where I experimented with those. And I do see some of that stuff in the big woods too. Um, cause I, that's where I tend to gun hunt is up North still cause it's just a tradition that we like to do. So yeah. I, I, I see all these scenarios play out in all sorts of different habitats across the state.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so being in the southwestern portion of the state, uh, that gives you a lot of time to think about thermals and to witness how thermals act. Um, but even, I think, hunting in some, you know, marsh country, farm country, that kind of stuff, where, where I'm used to hunting, thermals are really important. And they play a bigger role, I think, often than we realize. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I recorded an episode with Parker McDonald from the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And uh, we were talking a lot about thermal hubs and how bucks use thermal hubs uh, specifically during the rut to kind of scent check where all the does are bedding and that kind of thing. And it was during that conversation, Parker mentioned something and I realized, wow, I, I really need to have a conversation about thermals first to even begin to understand thermal hubs. So I haven't aired that episode yet because I was like, I've got to get somebody on who knows what they're talking about when it comes to thermals because I didn't have time to talk about it in that episode I would not consider myself a thermal hub or a thermals expert by any stretch of the imagination. Um, A lot of my hunting has been in the deep South flat ground. Uh, A lot of it was in Louisiana and then moved to Wisconsin and been pretty much hunting flat ground there as well. So it's like, man, I'm not an authority. So I've got to get somebody on who understands them uh, a bit to kind of explain even to me how thermals really work. So can you give me just a quick rundown of thermals and how we can expect them to work given the kind of terrain that we're hunting.
1: Yeah, no, I think the easiest way to understand thermals down to the most basic thing is hot air rises, cold air sinks, right? It's simple as that. Um, For instance, in a marsh in the early season, when the water's cooler than the air, the air will sink to that water because that's obviously that cold air will suck that down. And for the instance, if we're, you know, comparing that to the hills and whatnot, um, are using that in the hills, um, your cold air will sink towards those cricks because that's where the cold air is going to. However, when the daylight, uh, our sun comes up, that's when your thermals, start to shoot up so it's just knowing when you're going to have hot air and when you're going to have cold air and as the day cools those will sink then as uh warm air and sunlight comes up your thermals will go up as as heat yeah Uh, happens throughout the day
0: yeah i i had a spot and really when i started getting interested in this because like i said i've hunted mostly flat ground when I started getting interested in thermals was I realized I had this spot that I was hunting it was pretty flat, but I was hunting a, a little like null area. It was a, it was just higher than the rest of what was around, not by yeah. very much at all. But I realized that if I could get past that, like seven 30 in the morning time frame, deer could come from any direction and not bust me. Like I was absolutely bulletproof. Now, if they came in early, like right at first light, I'd get busted. But if they came in later than that, I was bulletproof. And I was like, that's got to be this thermal stuff going on. So I I really want to understand it better. So, all right, hot air rises, cold air sinks. Walk me through, and you mentioned it's it's all about knowing basically whether the air is going to be hot or cold and what it's doing. Walk me through sort of the different factors that all come into play to influence the heating and cooling of air.
1: Yeah. Well, there's so many different factors when it comes to thermals. You got to consider sky conditions. You got to consider foliage on the tree. You got to consider um, what what's the wind doing on that day. Is it going to be a strong wind? Is it going to be a light wind? Um, considering you know if there's going to be cloud cover, cover or straight sun sunshine. Um, I'm just trying to think of anything else. Uh, which if I'm hunting a Creek bottom or something like that, is the creek going to be cold? Is the creek going to be warm? Is even for if you're hunting alongside a lake or a marsh with like a lake within the interior, um, is it going to be during the summer? Is it going to be cooler or our early fall? Is that going to be cooler than what it is going to be later in the year? So there's so many different factors and each habitat type, uh, can, play play a little bit differently if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely so it's 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 pretty situational I mean do you mm-hmm. see consistencies across the board or is this this kind of something that you've really just got to get to know your ground really intimately to kind of really unlock?
1: Yeah I would say the basics are pretty much the same wherever you go um, However there could be slight variations depending on the ground that you're hunting. For example, uh, the hills of southwestern Wisconsin, they're a little bit more extreme and steep compared to like the uh, moraines of uh, Kettle Moraine um, type uh, state park area. I'm not sure if you, anyone's familiar with that or the Chippewa Moraine where there's a lot more gradual gradual to the hills. It's not so steep or anything
0: like yeah, that. Yeah, kind of rolling. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I, I think, you know, for instance in Southwestern Wisconsin, where it's a little bit more steep, um, things can be more predictable where you get in those gradual, um, slopes of like any, uh, moraine, the kettle moraine and whatnot, your windows start to swirl a little bit more and become less predictable. Okay. And thermal, thermals too.
0: How does, um, how does precipitation impact thermals? Is that, and I mean, I know that like cloud cover is going to keep the ground from warming so the air is not going to warm up as much, but like if it rained the night before and then boom, the sun comes out, like, is that water on the ground going to influence the thermals or how does that work?
1: Um, It, it depends how much rain you get, I okay. would say. okay. Um, for instance, say if it's a big soaker, you're thermals may suck down for a lot longer than if it's just a light brief um it depends how long it stays damp for um so that's that's how that could factor however you know you look at something like snow cover that's throwing a whole another wrench into things because the ground may be colder so your thermals may, may may sink because the ground's colder than what the air is so
0: it depends on the precipita- precipitation you're talking about. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Yeah. There are like 38 <laughs> rabbit holes we could go down right now, and I'm not we sure which down. one we want to go. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're going to try sticking with the basics. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So
1: there, there's so many different factors.
0: All right. So talk with me a little bit about thermals in kind of flatter ground. And this is, this is totally uh, – Totally selfish on my point, because this is kind of what I'm hunting. I'm hunting a lot of ag ground with marsh and then, you know, oaks obviously are on the outside of the marshy area and then ag ground. So how do I need to be thinking about the way thermals are going to work? Let's say out in a, in a soybean or cornfield, uh, as compared to underneath that thick, heavy canopy, as a, compared to out in the marsh.
1: Yeah, that, that that's a good way that we could approach this conversation is by, by going, kind of the basics of each habitat type. So we go over you know, farms first. Um, so in farms, bucks tend to buy bed at the lowest spot in an, or towards lowest spot in the egg field or in the highest spot. Reason they tend to bed up on the higher spots uh, in farm country is so they have a visual of the farm. They can see what's coming into that field, what's coming out of that field. Then the other spot that they tend to bed in is the lowest spot uh, spot in fields in egg country um the reason they do that is because um, early in the morning that's where all the thermals are that cold air sin- sinking towards the bottom of that field then in the evening too all those thermals are sinking towards the bottom of the field and that's where they tend to enter fields especially the mature bucks they come in the low low spots because they can smell everything that's on like those uh, top parts of the field, the, the the top parts of the ridges in the field, they can smell everything coming down in, in those bowls that they're bedded in. Um, it's very similar with the marshes and whatnot, where, you know, they're they're bedding in these marshes uh, on these little high dry spots, and all the thermals are sinking towards their bed. You can even have... Uh, opposite wind direction that's going away from their bed however the last 15 minutes of the day the thermals will actually start sinking towards their bed and it can get busted that way even if you think you're playing the wind correctly and another thing especially in the early season like i said that uh water in the marsh around the cattails and whatnot will sink will sink your smell right right into the marsh that's why you just have to play it right. Like Josh is talking about where sometimes you can be not busted at all if you're playing them right, or you're going to be busted every single time. So yeah, hopefully that made some sense.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. So, all right. So we're, we're talking kind of farms and marsh there. Now let's, let's touch mm-hmm. on uh, big timber, like maybe even early season, big timber when, you know, before leaves are falling off or right as right as leaves are starting to fall off. Um, it's a lot cooler underneath those uh, underneath those big trees, right? So, how yeah. how are we how are we thinking about thermals in bigger timber?
1: So, in, in big woods, I tend to gravitate towards water still. Okay, that's just the style that I like to hunt. Um, I like to hunt towards uh, uh, beaver ponds, uh, big wood marshes, and swamps and whatnot. And the thermals work the same way because um, as night progresses those thermals just get sucked to the water the same way because that cool water um sucks all your thermals down toward that water it's the same same concept just in a different area um if that makes sense however that may change say if i'm hunting big wood ridges where deer using more of a hill country setup where they're bedding off points and whatnot um they may use it similar to hill country down here in Southwestern Wisconsin, but it's just not as extreme with hills. a rise, maybe 10 foot or so um, where they still cruise like the top third of that ridge in big wood type setups where you're, you're still getting that thermal tunnel effect. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have listened to Dan Info talk about um, that thermal tunnel effect. And it's, it happens it happens even in ten foot rises. It doesn't have to be as extreme as the hills down in here in southern Wisconsin or southwestern Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about two different things. Um, one is when the thermals, like how you think about thermals in relationship to the the wind direction for the day, and how you're trying to set up with that. And the second is how in the world are you compensating? Knowing that man, your wind and everything is perfect until that last fifteen minutes, which is when you're gonna kill the buck if he if he is there. So talking first about, you know, the wind direction for the day and thermals, are you trying to make sure that they're working in concert with one another? Or are there times when you're when you're risking it and you're you're gonna go in and, and knowing that there may be a time when that spot's just gonna be burned?
1: Yeah, I think with thermals and whatnot, I, I feel like you could be burned at any time. You get one wind swirl, you get one thing that you didn't plan on happening, just kick your wind. I, I think the best thing that a person can do is just make an educated guess on that base, uh, on that day, based off of what they know on that day. That's why when picking out a tree during you know, spring scouting or, or uh, post-season scouting, tend to pick out an area instead of a tree. Yeah. Because on that day, you know, you can go in there and have, you know, the tree and some, something may have changed. Maybe the water level of change. Uh, maybe the foliage is making a difference in how uh, wind and thermals are working. So I usually don't make a decision until that day of uh, what tree I'm going to set up in.
0: Okay. Are you going in? uh with anything like um milkweed or anything like that either while you're scouting or while you're hunting to try to like get an idea of it like are you are you basically wind mapping these properties or how how are you working that
1: Yeah so uh, every, every time I hunt I make sure I have milkweed I, uh, I I feel like that's that's a great thing to use and yes I, in the when I post season scout I go in there with milkweed however even if you post season scout you still won't know until that day that you hunt yep of what the thermals and the wind, what the combination is going to do to that spot because each day can be completely different from spot to spot.
0: so yeah, and how are you trying to compensate for like are are you taking into consideration like, okay, I know I'm good right now, but I know that last 15 minutes of light, that last thirty minutes of light, my thermals are going to shift. So I'm gonna be, you know, 25 yards this direction, because of that, or or, because I mean, there there are times when it's like this is the spot that I need to be, and if I'm not here, I'm not gonna kill him, and that may not be the best spot for your thermals. Like you may be taking a bigger risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's just go to that example. Uh, We'll 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 pretend that we're hunting a marsh right now. All right, and we got a north to south facing. Um, island and a buck is bedded off uh, the south tip of the island. For instance, say if we had a west wind on that day, I would try and set up on like the west, the western side uh, of our sorry, the eastern side of that island to make sure at least the wind is blowing towards that direction. And what I try and do is Kind of be in the interior of the island. I, I try and stay out of the marsh because once you get in the marsh and on that edge, you'll start to get some wind swirl because you're right on that edge. Um, so yeah, I tend to set up if I can somewhere on the island itself, just so I don't have that wind swirl. Um, for and then, for example, say if we had an east wind, I would set up on the west side of the island, so my my wind and my thermals are going to go down the other way however i tend to stay away from the the complete edge of the island because you'll get a wind swirl in there i try and stay a little bit on the island and uh something that i i heard uh, i don't know who said it but trying to make sure that i can always shoot if it's an oak island to that first oak coming up onto the island that way you know the deer just doesn't get stuck there and you run out of time on that deer. So that's something that I also consider, you know, the, the food source, but we're not talking about food sources today or anything. Oh, but
0: that That's good though. That's good. Because my next question plays directly into that. So let's say, um, you, you know, w- there's that first dropping Oak, you know, that, that you know that you need to get to, you suspect that the buck is bedded there on that Southern end of the Island. And you've got that Western, when for the most part, if you think your thermals are going to get you in trouble at the end of daylight, will you play it more conservative or are you still going to be super aggressive and push in as far as you can to that Oak tree?
1: Uh, me, I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm as aggressive as it gets. It's just my style. It might not work for that way for everyone else, but, uh, I, I, like I was telling uh, Josh before we started recording, um, I put on about 200 mile, miles a year on the boot. So I've got spot after spot. And if I screw up on a deer, I'll just move to the next one. So um, so it's one of those things. I'm aggressive, full-time. Um, pretty much as Matt Floor from the Green Bay Packers says, uh, all gas and no brakes. So that's pretty <laughs> much it's pretty much how I hunt.
0: So. The How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. They also just launched the Reveal X Gen 2 cell camera that provides top-notch photo and video quality at a price point that's in reach for the everyday outdoorsman. One area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried filming your hunting and fishing excursions, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 5.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and to check out their full line of products, head over to their website www.tacticam.com and share your hunt with Tacticam. Now let's get back to the show so there there are two um I guess directions now where we really need to think about thermals. We've kind of been hitting on one you know that piece of how yeah. how do, how do thermals disperse our scent uh, especially in unexpected ways like like ways that we didn't intend for them to uh, yeah. and then how how do bucks in particular use thermals to their advantage so maybe talking a little bit about um about how these deer are using, um, are using these thermals to their advantage. What are some of the things that you see consistently across the board, especially when it comes to bucks? Like, how are they setting up, doing things like bedding or feeding or moving around or you know cruising ridges during during the rut or checking scrapes that kind of stuff? How are they? You how do you see them using thermals to their advantage?
1: So what I'm seeing during the rut and how bucks are using thermals is, um, I'm sure everybody's heard about dan and fault the the thermal thermal tunnel and if we go down that path the thermal tunnel can change like from minute to minute to hour tower hour, it it really can change like um all the factors that we stated earlier with cloud cover precipitation wind speed um i think if we go down that path uh, let's just focus on wind and thermals. I sure. guess G is a good starting point. Sure. Um, so when bucks are cruising during the rut, you got thermal pull when the sun comes up, hits the ridge, and those are shooting up the hill. Then you got the wind coming over the leeward side, and you get that thermal tunnel effect. That can change where it go, where that thermal thermal tunnel is happening based off wind speed. Say if you have a lighter wind speed that, uh, thermal tunnel will be higher up on the ridge, like a calm day, the zero to five mile an hour wind, wind, it might be higher up on the ridge. However, if you get a day where it's 15, 20, 25 mile an hour wind, that thermal tunnel will drop lower on the ridge. So they will be cruising, cruising lower on the ridge, uh, like, uh, five to five to 15, they might be cruising that top third that you're, you're anticipating that they're setting up on. Um, so that, that's kind of how that plays out during the rut, if that makes sense. Yeah. So lower wind speed, higher, they're going to be cruising on the ridge, moderate wind speed. They'll probably be close to that top third, stronger to the wind speed. They'll be cruising the ridges a little bit lower
0: down, lower to the bottom, man. That's good. That yeah. that's really good actually. Cause that has some direct, especially for folks in, in larger Hills, who can't shoot top to bottom. Uh that really plays into uh into how they are um into how you're gonna set up for the day. Let let's talk a little bit about uh scrapes. One of the one of the ways that I have really um or one of the things that I have really honed in on uh here over the last couple of years, especially when hunting in Wisconsin, is scrapes. I I didn't hunt scrapes a lot in the South Mm -hmm. just because we didn't see a lot of daylight activity on scrapes it just didn't happen and then i get here to wisconsin i put a bunch of cameras up on scrapes and it's like oh my goodness that last week of october and then you know like second week of november they may not be checking the scrapes but they're there you know what i mean yeah. so h- how do you see like do you see con- a consistent thing and like you know bucks like to make scrapes in areas where the thermals do this or they like to use the thermals to wind check them or how- what do you see
1: yeah so that's interesting uh so during the rut, like I, I was telling Josh, I hunt a lot more in southwestern Wisconsin here. And so I, I, I focus on scrapes that last week in October, October, that typical time period. Um, and I see scrapes in primarily in two different areas. I see them way up on top of the ridge, like very, toward the very tippy top of the ridge. And I see the scrapes down in those um thermal hubs that, uh, Josh and Parker talked about in, uh, I believe it's going to be an upcoming episode. Yep. So that's, that's the two primary areas where I see like those community type scrapes.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And are you, yep. are you pushing in, uh, tight on these scrapes or are you, are you playing back off of them a bit?
1: Um, within bowl range of the scrapes, you know, okay. that 30, 35 yard range at minimum. Um, And there's certain times where I target those thermal hub scrapes. Um, Times where I target the thermal hub scrapes is anytime I have like an overcast foggy type day where the air feels heavy, where the air will be sinking just because the air is so heavy and the wind's calm. So you don't got to worry about your wind swirling in that bottom. Another time where I hunt um, thermal hubs, and I'm sure you and Parker will talk about this, is anytime you have... Uh a valley that's wide enough where you can get a consistent wind to shoot down the valley Okay um, Are two situations where I tend to hunt thermal hunts and the third situation is Where it's completely calm and the sun's out and my thermals are just shooting straight up. Yeah, like but those those days are rare Yeah, those days are rare Um, Then up on the ridges when do I hunt those? um I tend to try and hunt those scrapes whenever I have leeward type conditions where you have the wind coming over the top and you got that thermal hub coming up coming off and that's when I tend to hunt those scrapes.
0: Yeah. So, so you're getting yeah. you're getting not only the the scrape is there and you know that the bucks are possibly coming in to check that scrape but you're mm-hmm. also getting some cruising on that leeward side yeah. uh, of the ridge in that thermal tunnel and yeah. set up there I'm guessing is going to be de- is going to de- be determined by not only the scrape, but also the wind velocity for the day. Uh, whether yep. you know, are they going to be cruising up top or are they going to be cruising down low? Given what yeah. we talked about a second ago.
1: Yeah, and another factor that we haven't even talked talked about is like the vegetation edge too. Like, and how that's going to affect the the thermals and whatnot. Because on those uh, edges and, and whatnot, that that plays in a a, a factor of how the the wind currents and whatnot are gonna are gonna move too so and sometimes you can use that to your advantage where they're just cruising the edge of that vegetation rather than the 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 thermal tunnel like I, i've seen that play out too um but i bet you there still is a, a little bit of a thermal tunnel in those edge breaks if that makes sense because you're getting kind of that that spinny type stuff. Um, from the wind blowing over the bit, the, the the thicker vegetation, and it's still creating um, that thermal tunnel in the more open vegetation. If that makes
0: sense. Yep. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, with these thermal hubs during the rut, and and given what what the uh, what the thermals are doing, typically dropping down those valleys, are you? trying to access low or are you coming in high is it just dependent on well, i tend to hunt both land
1: so it's wherever i can get access from um yeah but well, what i tend to look for okay yeah um yep. for accessing those is i try and actually believe it or not hunt close to roads in those type of situations um because i they're used to human scent, or coming up off like um, lakes or whatever, um, where I can get away with a little bit more on coming up from the bottom. But uh, sometimes I do have to come up from the top because that's where the only access will allow me. So it's like, well, whatever the public land access, wherever I can access from is is kind of where I come from, I guess. If that may, if that makes sense,
0: yeah. Yeah, so you're not one of the guys that's going to say, you know what, instead of walking that 300 yards straight to where I want to be, yeah, I'm going to make a three-mile loop all the way around. Uh, I've, I've done that, too. <laughs> it's kind of from too. the other way. like It's it, it, okay.
1: it's wherever, like, for instance, I, I hunt some landlocked pieces where you only have one option to access the spot. Like, you don't have a choice. So it's like, um, yeah, it depends where, and if I have the ability to do the mile loop or two-mile loop, I will do that two-mile loop because that has paid off for me in the past. So, yeah.
0: so Okay. Yeah. So. Gotcha. So, we 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 know that bucks like to use the thermals to their advantage. Now, how much they're thinking about the thermals, who knows? I, I think all they know yeah. is I can smell a whole bunch of stuff here, and I like that because uh, it feels safe, and I know where the does are. Have you – Come across, anyways, because really, I mean, when it comes to the conversation around thermals, a lot of it centers on how bad they are for us as hunters. Basically, like, like they're just they're just yeah. bad for us all the time. They're gonna get us. Uh, they they almost yeah. uh, they betray us right at the worst moments. It's like right after sunup, it's like, oh, we're gonna switch now. We're gonna mess up your your thing here. Or right before sundown, it's like, oh, now the deer are coming out, so I'm gonna switch and mess everything up for you. So when it comes to what you've seen as far as how bucks use thermals to their advantage, have you found ways that you're like, I know I can use the thermals to trick this guy into thinking he's oh, got, absolutely. he's absolutely. safe when he's not. Um, Let, let's cover some of those and maybe, maybe give some examples yeah. with these because that's the part that really intrigues me is, is man, they can feel like they're safe and like they're covered. Um, which I think is going to just produce yeah, really good no, outcomes absolutely. when it comes to trying to um, hunt those deer.
1: First example I'm, I'm going to go over is a uh, Southwestern Wisconsin example. Um, you got a cliff side and they can only get co- so close to that cliff where if I can somehow manage to get my butt up the cliff, no matter how steep it is, like those have been prime opportunities cause they think they can smell everything. But you're got your stand right, you know, one two feet right off that cliffside. Your wind's blowing over. I mean, they can't bust you no matter what they do. And it's so steep, and it's so steep that yeah, okay. you can't get that thermal pull back up the hill because your scent's just going right off the cliff. If that makes sense. Yeah, gotcha. and another one yeah, that I can yeah, think of sure. uh, was a hunt, uh, probably about three or four years ago. Um, and this is more of an early season type scenario is, uh, what ended up happening, Buck was bedding off a point, had, um, leeward betting conditions off that point, And I did a big loop around him and I came down and I, I anticipated where he was going to come through. And I ended up crossing his trail, like way down the ridge where he wouldn't smell my ground scent until way after dark. And I came up from the valley and I set up below the trail. He would be accessing the field or the apple trees that he was uh, feeding on. And I made sure to set up below that trail. However, my thermals were, were still coming up off the hill, probably about, uh, probably about five, six PM. They started sinking, So it's like, I, I, I knew they were going to go up the hill just to start off the hunt. But as it started getting more towards, you know, that five, six, seven, you know, towards that evening time period, they would start sinking. And that buck, he came off that point and, uh, he was using that, that heavy trail towards those apple trees. And I set up just below that trail and I was able to get a 12 yard shot at that deer. He thought he was bulletproof, and he thought he was entering that field and those apple trees at in the lowest point. However, I it was just 15 minute, yards uh, below the trail where he thought he was bulletproof. But uh, yeah, I beat him at his own game. However, I didn't execute uh, wow. a 12-yard <laughs> shot. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. oh no. It happens. Oh, But uh yeah, that, that's how I beat him at his own game. Just oh, wow. uh, you know, early season, setting below setting up below their trails, uh anticipating that they're going to try and get below you but they can't. So
0: Yeah, man, that that's a gutsy move too to go in and be like, mm-hmm. I know that if he gets yep. up early, I'm busted. You know what I mean? Like like I know this is not going to be good for me yeah. unless he's moving in that last 30 minutes or so of of daylight like I don't know that a lot of folks yeah. are going to try to be that aggressive um how, how was your how was your wind right. uh on that specific day did you have a good wind like was yeah. the wind good but for you but the we thermals were kind of working against that. it I,
1: I have one quick point um on that day um sure. or on that setup that was uh the ridge was facing where the the sun would be hitting the ridge or the the sha- the, the shadow of the ridge would be coming first it, it wasn't um what that be uh, a a west facing ridge it was an east facing ridge so the sun was like setting first so i had a little bit more time to to, to play with if that makes sense
0: yeah okay so gotcha so you're that's going to start cooling off and the thermals are going to start to shift there before anywhere else. That's, that's another great thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about your setup. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Like you said, something to keep in mind. It might help someone. Uh, What was your question before that? Uh, Yeah. I was just
0: curious about the wind direction on that day. Was it, was it working against the thermals? Was it just kind of a a totally different direction? How was the wind working that day?
1: Yeah. I remember that day really well. Uh, so I was debating whether to go in and hunt that deer, um, or not because the wind was so light that day. Uh, I think the wind was anywhere between two and four miles an hour that day, maybe a little bit lighter. But I said, Hey, why not? We'll throw a sit at it. I believe in it. Um, and, uh, ended up going in and I wanted to set up actually closer to that buck, but I figured with it being that calm and it was only getting calmer as the night progressed. Closest I could get was 150 yards on that buck.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Otherwise, he would have heard me accessing that. No doubt. No doubt at all. Um, but, but the thermals, before they, they went down on the ridge, were shooting pretty much straight up the hill because, uh, because of how light the winds yeah. were. I, I needed that sun to set in order to get those to drop down
0: the hill. Okay. What time of year was that? Was this, are we talking October, early October or?
1: Yeah, that was early October. Okay. That All right. Was... So
0: still, still some leaf cover uh, on the trees, Yeah, but, but still a buck moving 150 yards from his bed early October. Was that on public land too?
1: Yeah, that was on public That's land. That's not
0: supposed to happen. That's what the hunting media tells me <laughs> doesn't happen. Bucks don't move in October until the very end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was, I believe it was October 5th. And um which was funny because I I was like, Huh, there's not gonna is there gonna be bucks on this property? Because two one and two ridges down were hunted earlier in the week. So I was like, i I know nobody's attacked this ridge yet because they're they're gonna be busted walking up the hill if they don't do the big one mile loop. Oh, okay. And I ended up doing that one mile loop and I was like, I, I had a feeling that You know, all that pressure from the other two ridges would stack the third ridge. So I got a fresh, fresh hunt first, a fresh virgin sit on that, that uh, ridge due to using um, other people's pressure, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah. And I think that's another point. I haven't talked about it on this podcast before, but a lot of folks will, will look at pressure and kind of the, the, the mindset is, well, hey, this area has been pressured just go somewhere else because deer have, the deer have been blown out of here, but you can really use that hunter pressure to your advantage, especially if they're doing what you're saying. They're, they're blowing out the two ridges down. Well, then that just leaves one more ridge in the area, you know, or a handful Mm -hmm. of others where those deer that were on the first couple of ridges are now pushed into a more concentrated area and you've got a lot better, uh, a lot better density of deer then maybe you would have a few days earlier. So you can really use yeah. people to your advantage. And, uh, on the specific public spot that I love, uh, to hunt in Southern Wisconsin, man, I do that all the time. It's, it's a very heavily used public area. It just gets pounded mm-hmm. by like everybody. And I have, uh, I, I saw deer most like every sit almost, and I had mature buck encounters on like half of my sits, uh, last fall. And it was because I was keying in on what other people were doing. And, and literally yeah. I'm hunting based on what the dog walkers are doing, based on what the pheasant hunters yeah. are doing and based on what any other deer hunters are in there doing. And I just did, you know, I just reacted to whatever those guys were doing and boom, they're, they're deer in my lap every time.
1: Yeah. And most guys aren't thinking like how we're talking out in this podcast. So like, a lot of your average go- Joe guys will just go out there and sit. And the two ridges and the the two kind of draws that I decided to pass up on that day, uh, that were hunted earlier in the week, I know that the wind swirling there because it's more of a shallow bowl. It's not so much a steep thing where your wind's just gonna drop down. It's it's a shallow thing where you're, your your set just spins all around due to wind and therm. Yeah. So I, I felt a lot more safer going to the ridge that I went to because it was the steepest slope. And that's another thing that we haven't even talked about is how the, the different pitches of these slopes can change how thermals and wind work.
0: Yeah, let, let's talk um, about that just a little bit, because so after I recorded with Parker, um, I know I'm going to be hunting like four different States this year. It's it's going to be crazy. It's going to yeah. be an awesome fall. Looking forward to it, but I'm going to be hunting some real Hill country kind of stuff uh, down in Georgia, which you know, it's got some pretty steep terrain and I'm, I'm locating all of these thermal hubs and I don't really have a reason to, but I'm picking the thermal hubs that I want to go scout um, based off of which ones have the most pitch to them. If that makes sense, like the the ones that are kind of uh, a little bit gentler, I'm, I'm kind of, those are secondary to me. It seems like the steeper ones would be better just because there's more thermal activity there. So tell me about your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that's a good good call. However, with, with thermal hubs, they're so weird because each thermal hub can vary where it's being usable. Yep. Uh, something that I call it, I call a low, lower thermal hub, and I call it a thermal higher or higher thermal hub. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes you have where you got a point that comes off the top of the ridge here, point, point, and they all meet up in this lower spot. Um, that's what I call a thermal or a lower thermal hub. Then you've got your higher thermal hub is where the ridges almost kind of connect in an area. And that's where you get a lot of swirl. Um, and, and I've noticed those have been really hard to hunt no matter what pitch of the ridge it is um that's why you gotta really focus on those calm calm days and i've noticed that bucks tend to love to bed in those areas because the wind just does nothing but swirl and swirl and swirl and they can just they can smell you no matter what you do yeah. um and, and i i would say just go in go in, try try and figure it out the best that you can and you need a little luck. I'm not a huge <laughs> luck guy, but in that type of situation, needed need a luck. And I think even in steep pit, pitch situations, it's it's tough. Thermal hubs are a gamble every time you get yeah. in them.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let talk to me then a bit about kind of how the wind and the thermals interact differently based on that pitch. Let's so kind of I, I took us down a thermal yeah. hub rabbit hole, but.
1: Yeah. 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 Thermal hubs are so tough, but I'd say in terms of uh, pitch on like ridge size and whatnot, um, something that is a little bit more steeper will be more forgiving for your scent to get down the, down the ridge without your scent, getting in the thermal hub. And that's where I try and get up as high as I can in a tree, especially in the hills around here. And I'm assuming in Georgia you'll face the same thing where you'll need to get up as high as you can so your scent falls over uh, the deer where they can't smell you in that thermal tunnel. Um, however, I've noticed with gentler slopes, that gets to be very, very frustrating because okay. it's not steep enough to where your wind can just blow over unless you get like 40 or 50 feet up in the air, which is that real realistic? Besides, I think, John Eberhard, yeah, there's there's no way in the world I'm kidding. doing
0: that. That is not happening. Yeah. I'm terrified of heights, so... Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, me too. So I I get to about twenty five or so, and I'm like,
0: ugh. Dude, is- <laughs> I, I get to a, I get to eleven feet, and I start my hands <laughs> my hands start tingling. So yeah, so
1: so those shallower pitched ridges get very frustrating because it it's hard to get your scent to go over that ridge. Um, I've had it before where you you try so hard to get up, and your your scent just Bins on those shallow ridges. So I'd say if you can just find something with a little bit more steepness and it might be not the exact spot, but if you don't want to be busted because you know, the deer is going to wind you try and find a little bit steeper pitch ridge to set up on. Cause it'll be a lot more predictable of where your wind and where your scent's going to go. And um, yeah, I've seen a lot more success doing that. The, the shallower shallower hill type stuff you just need I, I like hunting those when the wind's really strong if that makes yeah sense. that way it's just pushing your wind in one way yep. uh the buck that i shot last year right here um it ended up being a shallower ridge but i ended up using a cut to my advantage that pushed the deer up and had my wind blowing towards uh towards the the south i believe and that cut made them go above me where the wind was strong enough to to shoot down the ridge so i kind of manipulated that spot by using that cut that deep cut to push them up the ridge a little bit yeah
0: more. yeah man i i haven't uh i haven't hunted hill country in wisconsin yet but i had an opportunity to go out and do some habitat work on a private farm uh out in the driftless region and uh man seeing the way that those hills and finger ridges work mm-hmm. to manipulate and influence the deer movement is unlike anything I've ever seen. Like it, it's, yeah. it is wild. Uh, yeah. I mean, the terrain is, it can be pretty harsh, <laughs> but, uh, what it does for deer movement is, is fantastic. So, uh, well, man, my head is swirling when it comes to thermals right now. Uh, I've got a lot to go think about, um, for the guy that says, Hey, this is the year I want to pay attention to thermals and I want to learn them well, uh, so that I can add this to my toolkit. Basically, right? What is like one main piece of advice that you would give them as far as like figuring all of this stuff out?
1: Yeah, I, honestly, I go back to how we started off the podcast: um, cold air sinks, warm air rises. Okay. Simple as all that. All right,
0: sweet. And carry some milkweed. I'll throw my. I'll throw yeah, mine milkweed. in there too carry some milkweed with you Hot tip. yeah yeah so well man very good thank you so much for coming on the show I really appreciate it where can folks go to find more from you because I know you guys got some uh got some podcast content you've got some video content
1: yeah so I have my youtube channel like uh Jack said earlier it's uh the Redbeard predators it's just uh me and a couple buddies one of the buddies really loves walleye fishing so there's content from the Bay of Green Bay on there and uh, another buddy who likes stuff doesn't hunt and we got white hills season and uh, we'll be posting plenty of stuff from Wisconsin on there then we also have the outdoor panel podcast where it's just me and a couple buddies BS and throughout uh, fishing and hunting season so
0: sweet right. well thanks man appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to connecting with you again thanks right on Josh appreciate your time And that is all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Eric for coming on the show. Go check out Red Bearded Predators on YouTube. You can also check out their podcast, the Outdoor Panel Podcast. Looking forward to talking with him more. Uh, Really hoping to get him involved over on the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast uh, here as we get closer to the fall and we start talking about deer reports and what people are seeing around the state of Wisconsin. Big thanks to our partners as we sign off here, Tacticam huntworth deer lab go support the partners that support this show and if you're looking for more great outdoor related content head over to the sportsman's where you'll find this podcast my other podcast the wisconsin sportsman and a whole host of other great podcasts